All right, Mickey, so what exactly is boondocking? <laughs> well, I think we're taking a podcast in multiple directions here, um, but let's, let's, let's RV this out. So boondocking is an RV term, um, and uh, it's something I learned when we were getting into RVing, and, and since we're not on the road at home, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to share with you. So boondocking is when you park yourself usually overnight, but it could be for more than a night, without any hookups. So without water, without sewer, without power, you know, so your RV will have some type of battery life and, and it comes with some restrictions to it. Uh, but if folks that, you know, travel long distances or are on the road all the time, there are people, by the way, who RV full time. That's their life. They travel around the country RVing. Uh, learned a lot about this when we were looking at RVs for ourselves. And, and as they travel, you know, you may get stopped and want to stay overnight someplace and you may go to, for example, Walmart or Cabela's sporting goods store. Like they, both of those places will allow you to park overnight. Um, but again, there's no water, there's no hookup, there's no sewer lines that you can connect to. Cabela's, by the way, does actually have a dump station, not to get too gory into the details <laughs> here, but they have a dump station that you can use for free, which is really nice. Um, but you know, if you just need a place to stay for the night and then to pick up and hit the road again in the morning, that's that would be where you go to boondock. Um, now, again, the restrictions in the summertime, it can be tough depending upon where you are because, you know, your AC units aren't going to work on your RV battery. So you need to be prepared uh, for finding ways to keep cool if you're in a very warm period. So so for us, that's, that's not us. We don't have a generator yet uh, for our RVs. So we are not going to go boondock at this point in time of the year. Us, for us, boondocking period would be sometime maybe through mid to late May, depending upon where we are in the weather, and maybe pick back up again in September. Uh, so for us, we, we have to have at least power uh, when we're out. Now, our RV, of course, has holding tanks for fresh water and, and other holding tanks for our, in our RV term, gray water and black water. So that's boondocking. And with Short that, answer. and with that, folks, we uh, we welcome I you to. I want to see the segue. Oh yeah, I yeah. See this segue. I, I, I don't have anything great here. I was just going to let Greywater sit. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> don't let it sit too oh, gosh, long. Gosh, yeah. But uh, welcome, uh, folks, to Fanatical Fridays with Mickey Baines. Our goal each week is to discuss the traits, strategies, and tactics that separate the best enrollment management teams from the rest of the pack and to pick Mickey's brain on things like boondocking. Um, turns out Mickey's becoming quite the expert when it comes to anything and everything RVing. So if you're thinking about hitting the road this summer, uh, you know, send him an email first and get all his tips and tricks before you do so. Um, or, or if you are an experienced RVer, send me your tips and tricks so I, I can Im improve uh, our ability to go out and RVing and send Zach a note to encourage him to consider that as yeah, an option we'll for his see. travel this summer as well. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, yeah, I, I can't get the movie RV out of my head and I can't disassociate the two. <laughs> and that was a pretty nice RV. But uh, yes. uh, anyways, um, I want to kick us off by just talking about something that I've been thinking about this week and then we'll... we'll uh, tap into your thoughts, Mickey. Um, 
So I had a great conversation with some folks at M Stoner uh, recently. M Stoner, for those of you who are, who aren't aware, they're um, a web design agency and they do lots of really great work. And I was speaking with the creative director actually um, because we're going to have him on the Enrollify podcast soon. And what he was sharing with me is sort of this tension that they're experiencing um, between, you know, they spend a lot of time doing awesome surveys, developing really, really beautiful brands, developing a fantastic digital website user experience. And then oftentimes, uh, once somebody goes and actually speaks with an admissions counselor or they chat with a program coordinator, um, that experience isn't always as, for lack of a better word, uh, beautiful um, or as as concise or as brand integrous, uh, brand, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not as, it's not as, uh, 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 um, aligned with, uh, with their brand as, as it could be. And so what he was saying, which I thought would be a really interesting way to, to kick off this conversation was he sees this huge opportunity for admissions counselors, people in enrollment management to think really critically about UX, not just being a term, not just being something to focus on when it comes to website design, right, and web dev, but actually to think about it as something that should apply to the entire uh, admissions experience. And so, Mickey, you've talked a lot about um, and thought a lot about scripting uh, messaging, especially as it comes to kind of phone calls and, and texting with folks. And so I thought that uh, after after hearing him share what he shared, the first thing that I thought about was we should talk about how folks can kind of carry on, um, you know, from their initial websites that are, that are again, spent tons and tons of resources are poured into making these sites beautiful and engaging and hopefully user focused. How can folks translate that to uh, their phone calls with prospects, or how can folks translate that to the messaging they send, you know, via text to admitted students? So I'd love to just get your thoughts, Mickey, on how do enrollment management teams do this well? How do they carry out uh, a, a consistent brand experience, regardless of the message, the channel that they reach folks in? Okay, so um, absolutely. Uh, there, are, there are a few points I want to hit on with this. And, and to be clear for everyone listening, I knew ahead of time that you wanted to, to talk about this, but I didn't know exactly where you were going with it as you, with your question for me and, and the background story about it, right? So, sure. so as someone who's worked with schools that have also worked with Emstoner, I can vouch for the quality of their work and how, you know, when they're putting together that brand, how, how strong it is. I will also say that when they say or when you say that there's this opportunity out there, there's a huge opportunity out there. There's one of the things that we miss that we're just starting to scratch the surface on in higher ed in terms of how we connect what we do with recruiting with what we do in marketing hmm. to keep that the integrity of the brand, as you were saying, uh, that alignment in place. Now, where I might pivot a little bit and grab some of the backs of my folks over admissions to say is I think what Emstoner is, is kind of sharing is they're seeing this, I don't know, break or this divide. It's been there. Sure. That frustration that they feel is another frustration that the folks on the non-admission side, even, even beyond admissions will say, are they delivering the same experience? So admissions is going to say, and a lot of times they can, sometimes they can't back it up, but um, 
you know, that they can continue on providing that same experience that they see and feel with the brand. And then post admissions, maybe it drops off. And because I've heard admissions seem savings. Um, but the other folks will say, well, is what the marketing and admissions folks saying, is that the real experience? Are they lifting up that experience beyond what it really is? Hmm. So that disconnect is there. And from the folks on the other side, that's sometimes what they're saying. Like, no, this is the real experience. What they're showing is not the real experience. And so there is a divide. I'm not saying who's right or wrong in that. I'm just, it just, they're very, very accurate. And there are two sides to it. But to where you're headed with this, how do we begin bridging some of that divide, at least in, from the format of from marketing to admissions? And as we think about how we connect and engage our students, um, there are ways that we can do this. It does some, to do it the best way, we need to ensure that our teams, that we're enhancing the use of data. And we've already talked about this too, right? Um, but we have to have more data. I want my recruitment team to understand what experience that prospective student that they're about to engage with is already having with us. Hmm. What experience are they telling us that they want to have with us at this point in time in their enrollment journey? Sure. How do, and, and the, the, and that's a vague, broad statement. But, but if we peel that back a couple of layers, what we're saying is we need our staff to be able to understand what that experience is and how do we determine what that is and what that means. And that's where the data comes into play. Can my team see what emails or texts that this prospect is engaging with us on? Can they actually view that email template can they see where the link was in an email that they clicked? Can they understand at least what the topic of the click was? Can they, whether that's in an email or a text, can they see that they've had a phone conversation with someone in financial aid two days ago? Sure. Can they see any notes related to that conversation? Because you can ask your staff to go out and reach out, but if they don't have that context, the, impact they have when they do that reach out is not going to be the same. My email to you as a prospect that says, Zach, just want to check in and say how things are going this summer versus Zach, I know you talked with Suzanne in financial aid two days ago. Just want to be sure that you got your question answered. Two different emails, two different approaches. One is very relevant and shows our commitment and understanding of that person's experience. And one is just me emailing you, so you tell me if you're going to come or not. And so as I talk about how we – and I don't like to use the word term, the term script, but in, to an extent it is. Sure, so if sure. we are – I don't want to script out what someone says. I want someone to use their natural conversational ability because it's more natural for them. I want to provide some type of guide to help them understand – what they should be looking at inside of a student's record in a CRM to begin to understand how to guide that conversation. So that if um, they mailed, they uh, spoke with someone in financial aid two days ago, got transferred over to student accounts and made a deposit, then that's going to be, hey, I just saw you deposited. Awesome. Uh, hope you're having a great summer. If you have questions on next steps, let me know. Right? I may not need to necessarily call that person at that point. They're already coming. They just deposited two days ago. How about a nice email? And that'll save a little bit of time there and get that email out. You could even have a just deposited template email that I then go and customize so it starts out and 70% of the writing's done. Yeah, yeah. All capabilities you can have in many CRMs. 
So, you know, that's, and then, you know, and that might be what I'm doing right now because this is, you know, what the third Friday in June, fourth Friday. Is that, I think it's the third. Count, right? I, who knows? Yeah. yeah. 19th. To, yeah. The third, right. Because that's what we do at this point in time of the year versus, I don't know, third Friday of January, the conversations will be a little different. And, you know, I've got this group of high potential students, students with great academic backgrounds, great for our honors program that maybe not have not yet applied. And it's third week of January. And because if they haven't applied by the third week of January, the likelihood of applying is pretty low at this point. If I want to do some type of last ditch effort to try to re-engage them, that conversation is going to be different. But I want to understand where that person stopped engaging with us. Because somehow I found out that they had a high uh, academic achievement and that someone that I really wanted, like something had to help us with that. It could be because they're on a certain list. That's fine. But at least I know that. And so if I want to have a recruitment person directly engage with someone, they need to know that. Sure. They need to understand if it's just because they were on a list, let's be sure that they understand the context of that list. If it's because they were on the list and they did one or two or three of the things, what were those things? So that, That gives me my talking points. And it's not so much scripting as much as timing and then teaching the critical assessment of a student's record to really help the recruitment team understand what the activity inside of that record means. You know, I've been working with some clients the past couple of weeks here. We're we're, we're, um, working with uh, a tool called Pardot, which is an email engagement tool inside of Salesforce. And it comes with it some additional kind of web tracking. And I can do, I can build campaigns based on someone's web activity and launch them into a campaign. Um, or, and not just web activity, it could be based on email activity. But because you've clicked on these particular three emails and because you've hit this page four times, I launch a campaign based on that. And I can then decide to say, hey, if I want to make a phone call or want to send a text, then I can trigger that back over to Salesforce. I can get that message out. And, and that gives me the ability really to craft out the relevant material that's incorporated in that communication. Because I know the communication isn't going to be general. It's not going to be too broad. It's going to be focused around whatever that topic was that they've been visiting on that page or clicking on it in an email. Um, and that, that's the type of information I'm talking about. So if I want a staff member, even if it's an automated text, but it might come as though the text is coming from a particular admissions counselor, so that if the person engages and replies back, they understand why the student got that text or that email, what what the email was about, and what else the student may have done to trigger that email to, to land or text to land in their lap. So that's that's what I want to be able to see, and that's how we connect the dots. So it's not just random communications we're dropping in because it seems like a good time to do it. It's relevant. And that's what we mean by relevance because the student has taken certain actions around a a general topic that we didn't necessarily know was a topic because they're, you know, we have broad information and campaigns going out, but it's seeing how they engage with the different ones. And it's not just saying, Hey, they engage with emails two and four. No, let's see what topics they're engaging on and letting that drive the other conversations or other automated content that we send out from there. Yeah, it's almost like it'd be really neat to have and, you know, maybe several schools have this already, but um, 
I think what we're straddling right now is sort of like the the tension between personalizing the experience so much, uh, you know, all the way down to the uh, unique needs of the prospect um, versus sort of uh, being brand, you know, consistent and ensuring that you're delivering an experience to all prospects that is, you know, delightful, that is engaging, that is that is helpful. And I think that um, you know, for maybe smaller institutions with with uh, smaller pools of, of inquiries and apps, it's, it's maybe a little bit easier to go hyper, hyper personalized. But for larger institutions that are just dealing with, you know, thousands, if, if not tens of thousands of, of people at the prospect and, and inquiry and maybe even app stages, it's it's harder to do something like this. But what I think you're you're hitting on, which I love the idea of is. Um, you know, rather than what we're not saying is, you know, script a, a, a message, give it to every admissions counselor and say, hey, this is what you say when you hop on the phone with a prospect or this is what you say when you, you know, hop on the phone with with uh, someone who's recently started an application. Um, and, you know, just this is somewhat tangential. But by the way, a lot of those communications, I, like my pet peeve is when somebody says something that is literally on their website. Um, and it's like they, they took the about uh, section of their website or, you know, how to get started with your application. And they recycled that that information in an email to me right after I inquired on a page that had all of that information and or they're sharing that information with me via the phone. Again, like I'm not an idiot. I, I read this on your website. I'm not calling to, uh, you know, for you to just deliver this message to me in another format. Uh, I'm calling about, you know, to hopefully have a, a more personalized experience and get some of my specific questions answered. Um, but that's somewhat tangential. But what, what I like what you're saying, Mickey, or at least what I think that you're saying is, how do we provide like a framework for admissions teams? Like, what does it look like to be able to say like, okay, before you hop on a call with this hot prospect or this person who's recently started an application, here are 25 things that you should look up um, and and based off of what is or isn't there in their contact record, here are some responses. And it's almost like it's like a you know uh, FAQs, but like uh, it's a little bit different in that you're you're saying, look, these are sort of like the 25 different things that most folks are kind of calling about or concerned about. Um, and based off of you know what they have done, what 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 top what content topics they have clicked on via uh, email conflows or what website pages they have visited, here are some sort of like brand consistent but like good kind of organic responses that you might be able to deliver to them. And that way, at least what you're ensuring is some sort of brand consistency across uh, across the space, while also allowing for a lot of freedom, uh, a, a lot of conversational freedom left up to the actual admissions counselor. That is what I'm saying. And I'll, and I'll add one little twist because you brought up a, a valid point um, representing all of the large institutions that says we don't have time to be doing outreach. I, I'm not going to argue against that. I agree. But you hopefully are putting together some type of campaign that gives you incoming activity from the, from the prospects. And if your team doesn't know that you're launching that particular campaign or that that campaign exists, not that it gets launched, that it could be an ongoing. And because a student has just reached that threshold of number of clicks or visits on a web page to trigger a campaign, that that might then trigger a question that the counselor gets because of that campaign. If they don't know the context for that, then they're going to, A, it's going to take them two or three rounds of conversation uh, because it usually is going to be via email or text, not over a phone, but it'll take two or three rounds of back and forth to truly understand what's happening and what, where the context is coming from. Uh, 
which is a not a great service to provide uh, b more time consuming for a counselor to be able to provide versus having the counselor understand and not necessarily getting a list to say here's all the emails going out or texts going out this week how about just looking in that record when they get that email to say, okay, what else has this person received? So I better understand it. Take me 90 seconds to see that, and then I can reply. Or forward, by the way, to someone else. Uh, you know, And th- those are, by the way, some of the shortcuts that you can have. So if a student is engaged in a campaign, ask you a question as a counselor you don't have the answer to, it's okay to reply to that student. Great question. I have an answer in mind. I don't know if it's the exact one that you need. And so I'm copying over Janice from our operations team who can help you with that particular answer. Yeah, yeah. And that way you're you're introducing the student to Janice, right? Janice can give that answer because Janice is supposed to give that answer, you know, and, and, and ensuring that the team understands that's how we handle answering a question we don't know the answer to. Rather than just trying to give them what we think is the right answer, potentially leading down a wrong path, um, let's help connect them to the other resources, right? I, and and that's how we make that connection. And you just don't say, hey, contact Janice over in our operations. Here's her email address. That's not how we do it. We reply to acknowledge we have it. We're, we don't have the answer. We've got your question. Janice should be the one with your answer and copying Janice on that email. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that um, couldn't agree more there. I also just think that what's, What's really important here, and I think what we're what we're getting at, the heart of the conversation is like, this is a really hard thing to do, but I think it's really, really important. Like I the amount of resources that schools pour into their websites. And again, this obviously doesn't apply to everyone, but if a school is going to, you know, drop serious change, a lot of them are willing to drop serious change on uh, a refreshed website uh, design. And they typically take way longer than anyone thinks. It goes way over budget, right? But like schools spend a lot of time on branding and on uh, and a lot of resources on actually making that brand real digitally, uh, at least at sort of like the offset uh, being being their website. And most schools, I would argue, have shifted over the last few years in becoming much more of like a prospect-focused uh, uh, website, meaning most of the the information that you're hit with right off the bat is for prospective students, um, which, is, which is great. Um, your website should be, you know, the greatest prospect generation tool, uh, the greatest prospect generation asset that your institution has. Um, but I think that sort of where this disconnect is, is that, you know, after you submit that inquiry form or after you request to, uh, you know, you sign up for a virtual event or a virtual open house or whatever it might be, the, the email you, that you get, right, the confirmation email that you get, even some of the messaging that exists in that email, it's almost like, it's the brand has has faded like the brand is 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 watered down and again i understand that this could be for lack of resources it could be because marcom handles this and and, and enrollment management has been you know asking for new email templates for 10 years and hasn't gotten any like i understand all the objections and excuses here but i think like a really really cool challenge for folks would be to how do we how do we generate how, how do we how do we deliver a an experience that from the minute, again, the minute somebody hits our homepage to the minute they fill out a form to the confirmation email that they get to when they get on the phone with Mickey to when they finally come and take a campus tour, how do you deliver an experience that 
is consistent and um, and genuine across the board. And I actually think that there is huge, huge opportunity for folks to to jump in and like, especially if you're kind of like a, a, a school that is looking for a unique value, you know, a unique differentiator, your UVP isn't as obvious, maybe you kind of look like the school down the street, right? Like, I think a real differentiator would be a school that essentially understands the value of brain integration and understands the value of delivering an incredible and an incredible customer or in our case, student experience. I absolutely agree. I, I, I can't add to it beyond that. All right. Well, uh, any anything uh, anything else you've been noodling on this week? No, I uh, uh, we, we're we're making progress on our uh, webinar. Oh yeah, I was going to ask about your webinar. We talked about that last week. Yeah, that'll be coming up the third week of July. Okay. If I had to. I think I don't. I don't remember the date. It's the twenty first or twenty fifth. I should know that date by now. But um, the third week of July. Uh, we're going to be looking at um, student service, providing student service remotely. Uh, we'll have a couple of folks on, one who was already working in an online environment who had to tweak how they function through the pandemic, someone who was not, who was completely on the ground, and how they had to modify uh, and how their institution adapted. Um, in case this comes back up or in case schools are now ready to investigate what it means to work remotely, um, Let's see what others are doing and how they responded. I'm really excited. We, we will have a couple of pieces, I guess, of, of real content and value from this. Um, we'll, we'll be having a, a blog up soon that will um, include interviews with these folks, um, question answers um, in there to help kind of drive some sharing of the information, which is kind of a pre-read. It's not a required pre-read, but it'll be, give you more insight before the before we jump onto the webinar. But um, to get an inside look at some of the work that um, these folks and their colleagues at their respective institutions uh, were able to um, to do over the course of this uh, pandemic and folks moving off you know moving off of campus and closing down offices for a few months. it's It's really intriguing as you talk with them and and kind of hear the story. So I'm excited to kind of bring this to light. Yeah, we'll have to um, be sure to send folks uh, a link to the registration page once that's once that's ready to rock. Um, Should be some in the next five to eight days. Okay, five to eight days. So just about uh, the next time, uh, uh, or I guess next week's episode goes live. Hopefully, uh, hopefully there's a, a link that we can include in the show notes. If not, we'll we'll send one out the following week. Um, last thing that I wanted to chat about, Mickey, is I had a great conversation with. Um, Matt uh, Diddlejin, I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He is the CEO and founder of a company called Glacier, and they are uh, their Canadian company. And anyways, they do a lot of work with um, in, in the digital ad space, but specifically at the high school level. Um, so they put like ads in high schools, um, and they sort of partner with institutions, uh, colleges and universities. Most of their clients are actually in, in the United States, but, um, they're a Canadian based company and they help sort of bridge that gap between connecting, you know, the right high school students with, uh, the right colleges and universities. Anyways, I was chatting with Matt, uh, 
earlier this week, and Glacier is um, getting ready to publish this new white paper that they've been working on. And in this white paper, they uh, talk about the survey that they conducted. And they conducted the survey with 1,500 high school students, uh, both Canadian students and and, um, uh, students in the United States. And what they were looking at, like what, what they were looking into was what specific channels um, do students have have the highest ad recall um, or, uh, among high school students? So what what they what this survey was was they said like, okay, we want you to think about where you've seen promotions, uh, any sort of advertisements for colleges and universities, um, and you know w- which uh, channels have the highest ad recall. So one of the things that uh, was was just really interesting, at least to me, was that. TV, streaming, and billboards have the lowest uh, ad recall, meaning that students do not remember seeing colleges and universities being uh, advertised uh, in these in these uh, specific channels. So you know, TV has like a seventeen percent ad recall. Streaming, so like Spotify and, and Pandora, have eleven percent, and then billboards have about fourteen percent. Um, contrasted with hallway ads, so these are like ads, like digital billboards, if you will, like in uh, in high schools, uh, social media and display ads have the highest ad recall with 57%, 66%, and 46% uh, respectively of, of students being able to recall seeing a college or university ad in one of these channels. So again, this is maybe somewhat obvious to, to our listeners, um, but what I thought was, was uh, particularly interesting here is that from a spend standpoint, right, uh, Group A, the TV, streaming, and billboards are incredibly expensive uh, uh, to get into. I was chatting with somebody the other day, and uh, Spotify, excuse me, uh, Pandora had pitched them like a $40,000 uh, uh, ad campaign um, versus, you know, the hallway ads. Think about this, this is just like posters, digital posters or, or whatnot. Social media and display ads have the highest of ad recalls and are typically uh, very inexpensive, at least to kind of get into and and play around with. So anyways, I just wanted to touch base on that and and share that with you because I do think as our, our listeners are thinking really critically about how they're going to spend come July 1, um, it's really, really important to, for folks who are, uh, you know, spending in um, channels that are really, really expensive um, and have, you know, low ad recalls, they might want to reconsider that spend and potentially allocate it in in different ways. The other thing I would add to that, Zach, is, is content. Yeah. You, know, you referenced, I don't know, was it last week or the week before, um, the emails you've been receiving in your secret shopper study and how so generic they were. You can have generic content in your marketing campaigns and your advertising campaigns as well. You know, and if you want to have recall, be sure that your ad is recall worthy. Yeah. If I can take out your name of how it's spoken or displayed and your logo on a TV spot or a streaming video spot and put somebody else's in there and the rest of the content could be the same. Was it really, was it recall worthy? Yeah, I guess. And so, you know, I, I, the same, I think the same, the same applies that we were talking about with the email here. If, if you're going to do it um, and I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not an, an expert enough in advertising to say yes or no to some of those. Uh, it kind of depends on your needs. And if you're trying to reach out of a geographic region where you have zero name recognition, just be sure if you're going to put it out there that you're going to build name recognition with what's out there. Sure. Um, so, so I think that's so important. Um, 
especially with that kind of money you're putting out. And to realize that, you know, if you're doing that, there are still less of just what you're saying. There are more affordable options that can really give you better recall and don't require the same level of um, content specificity. I mean, it's nice to have recall worthy content and those um, more affordable options you're referencing. But if you don't have that brain power, can't afford that brain power, well, let's get some recall in a different way. Well, that might be the way to go about it as well. So uh, great point. Yeah, actually, that just reminds me. Um, have you heard of liquid death? <laughs> is it a hot sauce? <laughs> no, it okay. is actually, uh, but that's a fair assumption. It is actually a water brand. So what they're trying to be, and we can we can end in, in just a second here. Um, we started with uh, talking about RVs and boondocking, and now we're finishing with uh, liquid death. But um, so liquid death is a water brand. It, they're trying to be sort of like the alcohol alternate alternative in sort of like bars and um, at social gatherings. So it comes in like a, a, a aluminum can. It's uh, looks like like a, it looks like the name of like a like the branding is like death metal-y um and uh they're they're sort of after like okay, you know a lot of people who either don't drink or, or want to drink less like when they're going out with friends don't want to look like that person that asks for a water and gets it in like the little dinky like dixie cup right from the bartender and it's embarrassing and whatever so they're they're saying uh, you know drinking a liquid death almost looks like you're drinking like a triple ipa or, or something like that right um and anyways, what they talked about and how this relates to what we were just talking about is they have talked about uh, from an ad standpoint, they've only spent ad uh, ad budget on social media ads and they've just done like outrageous entertaining ads. So they believe that like it's more when it comes to advertising, specifically when it comes to like ad recall and wanting to, you know, promote your brand to uh, folks who are you know unaware of your brand. They're at the awareness stage of, of you know, the journey is to just be ridiculously entertaining. And if you're just ridiculously entertaining, and even if there's little to no association with your actual product, they argue uh, you'll increase brand uh, awareness uh, substantially, um, which you know they have, at least in their context, has correlated to an increase in, in their bottom line. So anyways, I've Googled some of their ads and they're just ridiculous. They've got like a King Kong uh, dude who's like, drinking out of liquid death and crushing it and just, you know, it, it, it's, it's very, very, very unique. It's, and basically their whole like, uh, uh, stick is like they, for so long, you know, water brands or, or healthy, healthy brands, healthy lifestyle brands have been, you know, promoted to, uh, you know, moms who are, are, uh, health conscious, et cetera. They want to sort of be a brand that promotes really, really cool looking products to, um, you know, the meatheads of the world, uh, the, the folks that like love, uh, uh, love death metal. So anyways, that was a huge tangent, but the point being to back up what you were saying, Mickey, you know, you want to have an ad, you want to have content that is worth recalling. Um, and folks should really, really, really pay attention to before they launch any sort of ad campaign, they, before they put any sort of media budget behind something, make sure that that promotion is recallable. Yes. <laughs> yes. Again, not much easier said than done. Sure. But, sure. And that's and that's why you you know you can't just willy nilly say let's go shoot some some footage around campus and oh you know we've got a drone we're gonna get some aerial footage. Yeah. I'm yeah. like yeah yeah 
you and 800 other institutions now have aerial footage. Yep. So let's talk. You know, that that alone doesn't make you recall worthy. You know, maybe carefully selecting what area of campus you're shooting, you know, may help. But then again, you still have to have something else fixed to it to give folks reason to pay attention and then to recall later. So. So I, that's a good place to pause. Yeah, I think I think that that does it. Uh, thanks all for for tuning in. Um, connect with uh, Mickey at, on LinkedIn. Uh, you can also connect with me on LinkedIn if you are not already connected. And uh, thank you all for tuning in to another episode of Fanatical Fridays. If you have any feedback, we'd love to uh, receive it. You can just email Mickey or myself. Our emails are in the show notes. And we will see you guys next week. Mm-hmm.